I got friends only wanna talk business. I got expenses, cause when is expensive. I got expenses, cause when is expensive. I've been reading all the work. And I've been shutting out the stars. Cause when it rains and it pours. Yeah. And I'm ready for some more. Yeah. And I've been reading all the work. And welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the Break Sales Podcast for Closers. My name is Kevin Hill. I'm your host again for this episode, and we have a special one for you. We're going to talk to Shannon Bream. He is the co-CEO and co-founder of Freightvana. And with that, welcome to the show, Shannon. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate uh, being on and always been a fan. So thanks, thanks for uh, coordinating. You bet. You bet. So we're going to talk about the market. We're going to talk about trailer pools, which I don't really know anything about the economics of it. So I have a lot of questions for you, which will be good. We'll, we'll I'll learn something. Listeners will learn something as well. But to kick us off, this is, this is a question that I find in, just interesting, okay. intensely interesting, um, because you can look at the registration. 17,000 gets quoted a lot. Um, I, I think some some sources are 27,000 number of freight brokerages. So when I say that, it's, it's a unique MC number. And though there's a lot, though there's a lot in the FOMCSA census file, uh, I found from experience that the FOMCSA census file is often in another world in a lot of cases because it's never really meant uh, to, to be used by, by industry. It's more of a compliance and regulatory thing. So I like to always ask how many how many brokerages do you think are out there who are doing, and you can use a different revenue number, gross revenue number than I am, but let's say over a million dollars a year. Uh, over a million dollars a year. I've never heard that segmentation, but I my guess would be probably like 4,000, maybe over a million dollars a year. Yeah. I, I I agree with you. I always say five thousand. Oh, nice yeah. Wild, wild, wild! It was a wag there. So, yeah, no, it's it's, and everyone who answers is a wild guess. Yeah, really, because it, it's so hard to to, to pin down. Um, and I always use a million because if you're not doing a million, it's almost like a side hustle. Or do you think a million dollars a good threshold for a real active uh, freight brokerage? Well, at a million, right? You got to be doing, um, I don't know, like twenty grand a week. So you know, on average, you got to be moving at least ten loads, a couple loads a day. So I think it's probably a pretty, pretty good bar to like say that you yeah. do it full time. I don't know how anybody would be doing it much less than that, like full time. To your point, you'd probably cut out a lot of the part time folks. If you're moving a couple solid loads a day. I could see maybe that's part of your business. I. Um, I've never experienced that level of the business, but I'm sure there's people that make it work uh, quite well for whatever else they're 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 doing um, professionally. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> yeah, there'd be a, an owner operator basically, the freight brokers that's doing really well. If you think about a million, you're thinking ten to fifteen percent gross on that or net net on that, I should say, a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Then you have your expenses. So I mean, you're you're making a living at that point. Anything under that, you're not really making a living. Not with all like the cost, the regulatory cost, the, yeah. all the things you have to carry. I just don't see how that would would work well. Yeah, uh, assuming you're going to keep all of those those things in line and keep yourself safe and protected, <laughs> um, which would be the other end of the equation, maybe. 
yeah, you, know, you have load boards, you have TMSs, you have your normal business expenses, right? And it cuts down into that. So, I mean, I think anything under a million dollars, you're, you're not really doing it full time. Uh, and I have no idea how many, uh, are there 10,000 freight brokerages who are owner operators that um, are doing under a, a million dollars? I have no clue. Yeah, it's more of a supplement right. at that point. So. Yeah, and if you look at like twenty million or above, right? Then, then I, you know, three, four thousand probably, or you know, that does it, I always find it just interesting because um, it does well, have a long tail, though, right? Because when you look at no, like when you put tail. the reports out on even the largest, right? If you think about mm-hmm. it, I can't remember. And hey, that that line will get redrawn like it always does in this industry. But I think to be in the top one hundred, you needed to be at like a hundred and thirty million stated revenue right and so mm-hmm. that's that's the top 100 at 130 so you know that the tail is super long obviously even with a stat like that um where the top 100 that's kind of the level where you got to be at above that so I, I think there's maybe even more than we maybe give credit to over a million but uh like i said i have a lack of experience there i've only ever worked for a couple of large outfits and then trying to build a large outfit here at Freightvana. So uh, respect everybody that gets it done from a bootstrapper or um, like you said, that owner op that does it on the side, like uh, kudos to all those people that figure out how to make it work effectively. For yeah. Them. And then you have, um, and not to get in the weeds on this, uh, now, then you have, uh, you know, let, let's say Landstar. I mean, I don't know how many agents Landstar has, but um, they're, they're technically part of Landstar, but you, you would consider a lot of those their own freight brokerage, right? That is true. Yeah. So once you get into that number, like I don't, I, I don't even know what to peg it at. The agent model. Yeah, the agent model, right? Yeah. But but to, just to take, you know, everyone registered as a, a broker in the FMCSA, I it, it doesn't really give you a, a real number. I, I don't know how you get to a real number, but you, 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 it, that doesn't. That's not a real number to me. No, that is true. Yeah. So let's talk about Freight Vana, right? Let's yeah. talk a little bit about your background, Freight Vana, um, when you decided to, to, to make the jump and, and kind of what your, let's say what, what your initial business plan was and, and if you pivoted or how that's evolved, because usually business plans evolve once <laughs> you start getting out there and, and moving freight or whatever you're doing, right? Yeah. Evolve or devolve. Uh, uh, true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would say, you know, backgrounds in finance myself. So I wasn't in transportation. Uh, this is my 11th year in transportation, but a background in, in finance. Um, what I went to school for, I was actually doing that prior to joining um, uh, the Night, Swift, Night organization in, in 2012. So that's really where I got my start in transportation uh, for me. Um really love the business, the chaos of it, the people aspect of it. Like many people that kind of fall in love with transportation. That was, that was the draw. That's what kind of brought me in. And I, and I love the dynamics of it. Uh, nothing was ever stale. Everything was always on fire and there was never a shortage of things to do. So from a personality perspective, it suited me quite well uh, when I thought about quote unquote, a corporate job, but, but one that I, I enjoyed, I, uh, enjoyed some FP&A work and finance work, but it wasn't the, the exact speed um, that that really kind of spoke to me. So joined in 12 and, and worked there for, for the majority, was part of the transition when we did the merger with Swift at that time and had responsibility for the logistics brands uh, under the, the, the combined umbrella, which was great. 
uh, and then had a few years responsible for intermodal as well in that, in that spectrum. So, so on your finance background, yeah. as you say, what, financial planning? or Yeah, or, I was doing financial planning for a, a kind of a sister company of a, a private equity firm for, for a few years. So Nice. So I, I, um, I have some, some background in finance before that. You know, I, I've been 11 years in the business as, as well. Um, got got into a, a little bit later in life, and it, and I found for the exactly the same reason, right? It's it's, it's exciting, right? It's, it's dramatic, it's exciting. You either want to uh, to go, uh, you know, celebrate at the end of the day or shoot yourself. You know, it <laughs> depends on, on what kind of day you had. But I my analogy is always you're trading transportation. It feels like you're a trader. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're buying and selling and it is really a free market. It's, it's the, the, the market swings. We'll talk about that here in a second. Um, from, you know, earlier this year to, to what may be next year is, is a wild swing. Wild swing. And yeah, you gotta be, I, you gotta find that like from a personality perspective, just like a chart, you've got, you've got to kind of ride both the highs and the mm-hmm. lows. And, you know, I think in amongst the, the leadership opportunities and working with people just on a personal level, You've got to kind of set that trajectory and not get too excited about the highs and definitely not let yourself be uh, sucked into some of the lows because it, this business is is cruel in that way at times. Uh, the way it, it is. So, um, you know, from a Freyvana perspective, what we've tried to accommodate or try to do for, through our approach is, you know, and you've seen it in our logo and kind of our website and everything we've, we've kind of promoted in, in, in the rise we've had is, is the trust and transparency. Um, and I believe that there's more needed on both ends of the spectrum if we want to get outcomes that a lot of people seek. Right. But, uh, that, that is a, you know, a little bit of an altruistic approach, but at the same time from a business structural approach, how we've kind of set sail as a brand, how we partner with both our carriers and shippers. And so, uh, time left to be determined, whether that's the right approach, um, in, in, in how we kind of go to market. But I think for, for me, the experienced team that I have and the opportunities that we see in the future, we think there is a, a piece of that where both shippers and carers will want different types of relationships and they'll want to show up in markets differently with one another. And so we value that highly, at, but at the same time, very, very uh, open and experienced in the, in the market swings and the volatility that, that you've, you have mentioned, Kevin. Uh, and that surely I have experienced in, in my 11 years yeah. as well. On a personal level, why? Why, why Freightvana? Why why jump yeah. into to entrepreneurship? Why start your own thing? You know, yeah. what, what was your driving factor on that? Yeah, I'd say number one, uh, if you go back for, you know, even when I was younger, I always had ambitions, entrepreneurial ambitions, right? I, I was... Mm-hmm. When I was young, I wanted to be a franchise owner. I had a family member that did franchises and I'm like, Hey, I can do not one, but 10, but 20 and had certain goals. And franchising became a very tough thing to break into because of the capital constraints, right? My, my mm-hmm. parents were both elementary school teachers. <laughs> when you figure out like what you're risking, you know, you've got loans and different abilities. Yeah. Just never really landed on that opportunity. It was such a large risk at, at mm-hmm. the ripe age of like 22. Now I ended up doing my own companies and uh, some different stuff with both real estate construction in my mid twenties. Um, then 2008 happened and I don't, we probably don't need to do a history lesson on how no. real estate construction and that all worked out in 2008, but uh, there was a sobering reality to that. And so then I went back to finance to the point, And then in 2012, 
uh, got into the the wonderful world of freight. So uh, I think for me, Freightvana and and Why Leave, you know, one of the largest outfits in the in the com- in the industry was simply for the fulfillment loop and the challenge that is, right? I think at some point you just got to determine what you want to accomplish, uh, what your long-term goals and ambitions are, and are you going to be able to uh, satisfy those where you sit, right? And for me, there's just certain componentry that uh, I think was lacking on a personal level for me of what I was looking for. And so making the leap and then coming up with the business plan with John and team, and then executing, it was just so wildly exciting. And when I thought forward of what that might be, I just felt like it was the right time, even despite, you know, being a very comfortable scenario uh, in mm-hmm. a prior role. Uh, what, what year did you start for Freightvana? So we are almost a year and a half old. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll hit our year and a half mark. So born in the pandemic. Born in the pandemic, designed in the pandemic. Yeah. So a lot of people, it's funny, they go into this market, right? And they'll be like, hey, this mm-hmm. market's going to be tough. I'm like, well, let me tell you where I was a year and a half ago. Like <laughs> uh, the best the best commentary I could get, uh, I was on a call with someone and they said, yeah, it's not, the, it's not whether it's tough or not. It's just the grade of the hill. Exactly right. Right. And so when you do a startup, exactly. like it, it is just the grade of the hill. So, yeah, it might it have tilted up on us a little bit and will be probably for the most part of 23. But at the end of the day, we've been climbing uphill and we're OK with that. And I'm, and I'm obviously built that way anyway. Like I like the challenge mm-hmm. and I, I identify more with an underdog mentality than, than probably a uh, we lead from the we lead from the front of the pack type deal. And so for me, it, it, it suits me. I, it, you're exactly right. On it's, it's the great, the, the, the great of the hill because it's all a uphill battle. Whether you start in a bad market, a good market, it doesn't really matter. You, you got to go through those those market cycles uh, to to really find your feet anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, on, on another point, you guys are leading with trailer pools, if that's yeah. correct. If, if you would characterize it like yeah. that. I think the biggest, there's big, you know, my, my previous employer, many people that would look, work at like large asset installations have uh, trailer pools that they disperse into the market and utilize a, a similar type of business model. Um, but we felt there was an opportunity to really do something different in the trailer space. And a lot of that came from the pre-work that you talked about or mentioned, Kevin, right? Working with the shippers, the relationships mm-hmm. we've had with carriers over the years, and be like, hey, if we built something like this, unique to itself, not tied to necessarily a large asset fleet, would that be of interest? Um, and a lot of people said yes, and, and and for different reasons, right? The the shippers said yes because they wanted new, fresh competition to maybe challenge a little bit of the that previous model that is kind of underlying maybe a large asset player uh, for the carriers. What was really interesting is they said yes, because they wanted a network truly their own that they could work in. When I say that is when you work for a large asset player, when we get to certain market cycles, maybe we're in one of those, Kevin, Mm -hmm. right? There's a propensity for a lot of that freight to end up back on the mothership, right? The freight that once existed, the partner carriers that were once running said lanes, well, as soon as the market shifts, what happens is out the backside, a lot of that freight ends up now falling itself back on the fleet to accommodate the 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 the, 
the low tide mark, let's say, of the freight environments. And so those carriers, once again, feel like they get the short end of the stick in some of those models. And so we wanted to build something uniquely to ourselves to accommodate kind of those desires and wishes of both parties and then show up in a trusted, transparent way to to do that instead of an opportunistic way, trying to kind of game the market at, at every swing. So we know in pandemic, because of the constraints of ordering new equipment, getting drivers in, trailer pools, trailer drop became even more popular than than it was, which was probably really good for your for Freight Vana, right? Yeah, really good to start. I mean, to be honest with you, we digested most of our trailers here uh, throughout 22. Um, we've got a really good partnership with, with uh, Wabash out of Lafayette and that leadership group. So they've been great for us. They've helped us kind of design and promote uh, the, the vision that we have here. And so um, through that partnership, we've, we've scaled quickly uh, from volume and have large growth goals even for next year in 23 in the face of the, uh, the recessionary times that we're looking at. So well, let's talk about 2023 and the recessionary yeah. times and, and trailer pools and kind of, uh, you know, how that's a unique business model to capitalize on a down market. Yeah. I don't, I mean, honestly, we, we've, you know, I don't know if capitalize on a down market, but what I think you will continue to see, you mentioned labor shortages. And so as that continues to permeate the warehouse and the operational challenges of shippers, they're naturally going to lean and value trailer pools even more than the, than the prototypical live load. Now, when the market dips as low as it is now, right, to, uh, to historic, maybe low spot market averages of what you've seen in the last I mean, honestly, maybe my entire career, but certainly the last five, seven, eight years, um, naturally shippers are going to be more incentivized to figure out how to do more live loads and maybe really uh, counteract some of those budgetary challenges by taking those live loads. But in the long term, when we talk about the main band of freight moved and how traditionally or how we see the freight moving over the next few years, I think you're going to see Shippers that have hiring challenges, operational challenges, loading challenges, want the flexibility uh, of ordering cycles, depending on the type of customer you have. I think they're going to naturally want more and more trailer pools. And so uh, we want to be one of those people that can do it. Um, and then I think also the thing that we want to do with the pools and we're doing with the pools is bringing technology and integration that's a little bit unique um, because of the newness in our equipment and the solidarity in our platform. We're now able to show up in a way that's even different from some of the larger groups that have maybe multiple technology companies that are running in their trailers, multiple brands, um, and, and probably not the uptime that, that, that shippers are looking for when you talk about like, sharing that information openly. And so we're able to do that even in our early stages just because of our newness and our uptime. It's kind of that, that skipping a generation of technology right? yeah. where you see in, in developing economies quite a bit that they don't have the... You know, they don't have the legacy high wires, you know, landline telephones to, to, to deal with with competition and infrastructure and, and, and sunk costs. And in a lot of ways, they just leapfrog over that, um, you know, coming in with with a fresh fleet, uh, the newest technology, let's say, and integrations. You, you skip over the, uh, the the mountain of hard work it takes to uh, to, to reconfigure legacy. We, we see that in in you know, TMSs in, in yes. a lot of ways, right? You know, yeah. uh, being able to, to to start from scratch sometimes is much better than trying to continue a patchwork. 
Yeah. And I think going back to your initial question, why Freight Vana, to do the things we wanted to do, we knew we had to start fresh. We knew we had to be under a new banner. Um, you know, no offense to anybody that's publicly traded out there, but you've got different different challenges. And hey, no mm-hmm. no offense to anybody that's that's VC backed or has large capital yeah. interest, but that changes the way that you can show up. And so we had this idea of how we wanted to show up, Kevin, to your point. And we wanted to show up fresh and we mm-hmm. wanted to show up unencumbered. Maybe that's the appropriate term. That, that in, is a good term. And in order to do that, we knew we had to be brand new. We knew we needed certain type of capital structure. We needed certain type of partners and we couldn't be, yeah, you know, we're going to do this one thing or we're going to act this certain way, but then we go into a different room and tell a bunch of people how it's going to happen. Like, and, and unfortunately in my, my career, albeit hopefully still young, um, <laughs> I think the ability to show up authentically, I, I did a, 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 some social media last week, the ability to show up authentically to all market participants, your investors, the shippers, mm-hmm. the carriers, and your internal team. Like what's wild about even saying that is when you really think about it, most people can't. No. Uh, once you get to a certain size and a certain age, right, uh, all companies fall into a uh, bureaucracy in a, a lot of ways, right? And, and bureaucracy is a lot of different stakeholders wanting different things, and there, there's just really no escaping that. Yeah. And, um, and at Freight Vana, you know, if you grow into that size and that age, it will fall into that. It's just one of those natural things. But that's, you know, that's 30 years away, and, and, um, and, and magnitudes more of, of, of revenue each year, right? Yeah. And I love that comment because honestly, that's one of the things people ask me, like what I think about a lot. It's like, how do you avoid, I wouldn't even say pitfalls because honestly, some of those companies are wildly successful. Yeah. Wildly successful. So I don't want to like meld those two things. Those companies are wildly successful at generating profit, creating jobs, doing so many things. The question is, like, if our mission is a little bit different mm-hmm. to execute that and then maintain it to your point with size is something I think about all the time. And, and it's it's a good way to think about it, too, is that you have to be widely successful to reach the level of getting into the problems of bureaucracy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's just it's a, yeah. I don't know if that's a catch 22 or not, but yeah. um, it's an, one of the ironies of uh, of that. Right. You have to be so widely successful to get into a position to where you are the legacy dinosaur or no, maybe not legacy dinosaur, right? That, that's a little yeah. bit too graphic, <laughs> but, but the legacy player who has the, the most market share and who has to battle the bureaucracy and that's the evolution of capitalism, right? Yeah. You get young, nimble, new, fresh faces that, that come along and, and start nipping at the hills and then grow up from there. Yeah. And I think we've seen so many of those stories and I've seen so many success stories in this industry over five, six, seven years. And we just felt like, Hey, there's even more opportunity, whether it's the trailers, the trust, mm-hmm. the transparency, like there's an ability to be on that. Like I said, the front end, the front end of that wave, right? You don't need to be yeah. the one. I think a lot of people promote like they're there. Everybody's a pioneer, right? Like everybody's uh, out there throwing flags in the ground. I think of the, 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 mm-hmm. the Tom Cruise movie. Like, I don't think it's yeah. quite that. I don't, I don't see many people really doing a far and away. Right. The, yeah, the exactly. industry is not far and away. You didn't stake the ground. You weren't the first one to do no. anything. So if you show up authentically, you understand you're never going to be first. But like, what can you do to fundamentally change the dynamic? That part's fun to think about. Um, scary to think about. Trying yeah. to think about. Um, 
stressful to think about and do. But honestly, Kevin, when if you're going to take the the route that I took and eject when I ejected, like you know what you're signing up for, and and, and you know you kind of embrace it all because those are the emotions that you. If you wanted the other emotions, then you wouldn't do this. That's what makes it fun, though. It is. It really yeah. is. I mean, I, there's two kinds of stresses, right? Um, and this might be a little bit of a sidebar or a soapbox or, or whatever. Two, you know, there's life is problems, right? Life is stress. You either own the stress because it's your own stress, or you're stressed out because you don't own your own destiny. Yeah. And you know, there's a healthy one of those is a healthy stress. One of those can be very unhealthy, right? If you mm-hmm. can't really control your own destiny, but the only way to control it is by doing it yourself. And so it's scary. It's, it's it's all those things, but it's a lot of fun. It's the fulfillment loop. I had a short video. People always ask me like the spirit animal, or they have like a book that I that I read, and I put that out too. But uh, there's a short video that I think it was like a Denzel video where he was talking at like a graduation. And like people always say, life's too short, right? Kevin, hey, life's too short. Hey, life's yeah. too short. Oh, they, they, you know, it goes fast. And all those things are true. And I and just, we kind of throw it off as almost like a, just a statement that just kind of rolls, yeah. right? Rolls off everybody's back. Like, life's short. But like he did this 45 second video, I'll send it to you offline. But it was like wildly touching as I went through making the decision. And it was all in line with what you said. And it really came down to like, he painted this picture. And in his picture, and I'll just give it to you and the and the listeners real quick. Mm-hmm. Like it was amazing. Like the the I could sense it. Like it literally makes like the the hairs on my arm stand up. Like that type of emotive feel. It was like, hey, and there'll be many years from now, you'll be lying on your deathbed, and while around that deathbed will be the ghost of all the things that you didn't accomplish. Essentially, your regret, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you're laying on that bed, like, what do you want that room to look like, and what are you doing now? Like, because that's what it'll be like at the end. And you're like, well, okay, now that's a little different than life's too short, right? Like now, it you, is. now you painted this thing for me and that thing, it didn't haunt me. But what haunted me was if I had not listened to that voice, if I didn't listen to that, like the haunting was mm-hmm. the, hey, know what? Stay comfortable, stay in the lane. Like, don't do it. It was like, that was like, but how many mm-hmm. years from now? Hopefully many, many years from now, I'll look back and say what? And so that- that was really a huge motivation. Although just a short video, like that thing stuck with me in a way that 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 really propelled me and John to, to both make this leap, and we're doing it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, you're exactly right. Denzel's exactly right on that. Is uh, sometimes you're just too comfortable, and and uh, anyway, I can have an, another entire podcast uh, about that topic. Maybe we'll do that in the future. Um, uh, here's a question for you. One that is hard to determine. At least I haven't determined. You, you, you probably have, you might have better information. What's the percentage breakdown? And and we can go by different markets or whatever of live loads to to uh, to drop trailer. From Do you a, have any oh, idea or well, a, a industry, uh, industry perspective wise? Yeah, you know, maybe it's it's retail or maybe it's drive-in or, you know, not as a whole of all of trucking. I, I wouldn't expect anyone to uh, to be able to peg that. But maybe, yeah. in, you know, I whatever conditions you you want to put on there. Yeah, I, w- I mean, look, I don't have great stats on the overall market. I've seen some stuff from some no of the people. Um, 
uh, I would say obviously refrigerated for obvious reasons. You're talking only like 15% probably preload just because of the cost and, and the situation there. Mm-hmm. But what we do in the dry van space, specifically if you're talking retail, I'd say you're probably 80-20, right? Uh, 75-80% preload just because they mm-hmm. need the space, the type of products they ship. Yeah. Overall industry, I want to probably peg and probably wrongly, but you just asked the question on the cool. cuff, but I'd say like 65%. All right. Yeah, and, and we can just stick with retail, right? Yeah. And retail well, and stuff. I, you yeah. know, I mean, it's 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 a question that no one can answer. And I mean, if you're looking too broadly, but if we're looking at retail, so um, seventy five preload. Yeah, seventy five percent preload. That's, yeah, I'd say yeah. seventy five to eighty percent on the retail sector for sure. I just they don't have the operations, and then on the back end, they want uh-huh. the, the flexibility on the unload, which is just as important. Yes. It, the, it is arguably just, more important to most of the folks, even on inbound type opportunities. True, true. So, do you think do you think the pandemic structurally affected drop trailer, like like not just for the moment, but you know, five years later, yeah. the, the trends will have come from pandemic years. I think you're going to see an uptick, right? I would say probably a five to ten percent. You know, maybe five is such a large industry, but somewhere in single digits, but definitely a significant change. A lot of the shippers we work with have, through the pandemic, to your point, major staffing issues in warehouse areas, California being namely one, right? And so the staffing issues that when you're full bore, maybe pre-pandemic, when you could have more flexible live unload schedules, forklift operators, all the stuff in the warehouses, I think that was a different story. Now you're seeing folks really struggle to uh, have full shifts. Um, and if they have full shifts, they're really struggling maybe with those, uh, you know, off cycle shifts, the, the nighttime shifts, the swing shifts, the weekend shifts. So a mm-hmm. lot of that stuff creates an even higher propensity for people to desire the trailer pools and the flexibility that comes with them. So non-freight question. Okay. That follows off of what you just said with with labor constraints, right? Mm-hmm. Is that structural? Is that part of uh, birth rates and the baby boomer generation uh, retiring in ever larger numbers? Is that something, you know, because the Fed's been raising interest rates, trying to put a dent in, in employment? Uh, a lot of people have been talking about this is that uh, tight labor markets, no matter what we do, is going to be a structural change over a decade or more. I agree with that. But I also think the emergence that the pandemic brought in work from home created much more flexible, less physically intensive options for people to uh, support their families. And so as work from home has kind of continues to evolve and people think about maybe the, the harder labor type opportunities that a warehouse, forklift operator, some of that stuff, like it, those types of opportunities become even harder to source because work from home is so popular throughout the country and even the world now that people can find jobs elsewhere in the macro uh, labor market that is. Yeah. It, and, and basically, if you're uh, based in Nowheresville, Oklahoma, you could work for any company mm-hmm. almost in the world without leaving nowheresville oklahoma right just just with technology you don't really have to be all that you, you don't have to go where the jobs are the jobs are going to come to to where they find you which is uh, a beautiful thing and I wish exactly right that will affect the labor market um going forward now 
if we look at trailer pulls, right, or drop and hook, um, what, what, what's the terminology you usually use? We usually talk about power only, just because power we, only. Okay. it really signifies that obviously we're bringing the independent power and we've got the underlying equipment. Okay. Uh, so is that mostly, are you mostly focused on contract freight, spot freight? We do both, kind of- but, but our model, especially when you run that level of assets that we do and, 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 and plan on doing in the future, you got to have the committed networks. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we've seen even through some of my, a lot of my work with our small carrier groups, um, conversations with their CEOs, um, Unfortunately, we, we all act like uh, some NFL cornerbacks at times. We got very short memories. Um, and so, you know, I walk in and we're doing, you know, we're understanding these truckers and how the business has gone and where they're at now. And I am blown away at times when I hear the committed versus spot uh, segmentation in businesses that aren't small, Kevin. I'm talking hundreds of trucks and I'm like, I'm scratching my head thinking, Okay, I could probably see, I even hard to see how you'd execute it in a like, you know, the market that was the prior couple of years. I could see the money would be there, but then you roll it forward thinking, wow, how short-sighted because now, now I have no clue how you're operating this business. And honestly, that's that point, that choke out point that a lot of people comment on and, you know, mm-hmm. what goes down comes up. And I always say that a traditional broker is incentivized based on that chaos, the thing they actually want the least of is that consistency and normalcy, which is funny because if you really pulled a majority of carriers and a majority of shippers, what they would value is the consistency, the predictability. Mm-hmm. And so it's wild how this industry works. You mentioned stock trading, and that's just always kind of built on on, on the chaos, right? Yeah, uh, volatility. The right? volatility. Traders Everybody. like volatility. So, so I always like when, from an industry perspective, and you've been doing this, it sounds like almost as long as me. Like it's wild mm-hmm. to me in the transportation industry that these massive participants are actually incentivizing the thing that the two main industry participants on both of the ends of the barbell don't really want, and that is fascinating in its own right, and infuriating at the same time as you try to figure out how and where you can change that relationship. But it's just, and and, and then going back just lastly, you probably have some thoughts on that. Like lastly, it's, it's also wild how public the intermediary discussions are, especially when talking to their investors about the game and how they actually admire the volatility that they're looking to create. And it's like, they're telling you what the game plan is. Now, not when they show up to your door to give you the sales deck, to your point, put the coffee down, mm-hmm. you know, and closing. Like, that's a completely different deck than when the investors or the investment houses are sitting there and they're like, oh, well, this is how this works. And you're like, this is just wild to me. But I appreciate it for what it is. It adds to the overall chaos. But I, man, it, it is head scratching at times how we continue to invest in the volatility when what most people want is lack of. Yeah, you know, it, it's it, that's why why it's such a great analogy with, with finance, right? If, if you talk uh, about uh, unions or uh, pension plans, those institutional investors, they like predictability, right? Because they, yeah. they're having to pay out so much in a future date and the traders just want volatility. If you're yeah. trading, you just want volatility. That's the only way you can make money is, is through volatility. Yeah. And it's the same, same thing with brokerages. I, I want volatility. I, I want I want prices to go up and down. It gives me uh, not not it gives me with lifeblood. Not, it gives me an edge, but it also 
I, I can't make any money on a calm market, right? And that's we, we can flip into 2023 now, and it's been very calm for a long time. Calm in a very loose, classy, uh, you know, outbound tender rejection rates are just above four percent. Yeah, you know, it's hard to make money. You know, when they're 25 percent, there's there's still volatility, right? Yeah, there's that, then, volatility, there's that chaos. That's a chaos, but I think we t- I mentioned the term chokeout point. You, this market is going to be unlike any we've ever seen because of the economics on equipment, fuel, and insurance yeah. are unrelenting. Mm-hmm. And so that combination of those unrelenting markers or factors combined with shippers feeling and feeling the pressure and the budgetary of like, hey, let me go find bottom. The problem is what you're going to find in that bottom is a massive churn and failure rate of these small carriers. And it's always happened in these cycles, but it's going to happen through this next cycle at an unprecedented level, in my opinion. I think you can just see all the factors lining up saying you are going to see so many folks um, decide that being trucking is not for them. And then, and then obviously everything that follows beyond that is going to be a real, and Hey, this is the peak season. If what we call it is peak, right? Everyone's saying it's a muted peak. And what we've always seen historically is like, while you'll see failure rates here, where you really see them is when you get into the next first half of the next year, that is going to be stats to follow. That is going to be things that I don't think either of us have seen in, in many, in our careers in this industry. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. This is I, I'm very bearish. I don't want to be bearish, but I I I, I can just paint the scenario of, of the you know, and I always can of the world coming to an end. But you know, we're talking about tight labor labor market. Is the Fed going to keep raising interest rates until that's broken, um, which might not break? You know, for for a long while now. I, I didn't see CPI. I think that was. Today, maybe, or it's coming up this week uh, on Thursday. The Fed is going to, to have a meeting tomorrow to, to decide um, where the next rate rate hike is. Um, you have inflation, you have fuel, you have insurance. You said that the, you know there's a lot of people who went out and bought $140,000 five year old trucks, right? Um, I, I don't know how even the economics worked in a raging bull market, much less what, what we're seeing now. So, I mean, it, I agree with you. It's something that, that, that neither of us in, in the last decade have, have seen. It won't, it won't be pretty. And, and people talk about profitability. And I was looking for a really good report. There's a lot of stuff I follow. I haven't found one. So send me one offline if you get it. But the segmentation, yeah. like the OR profitability segmentation by fleet size, right? Because I think we get enamored with some of the publicly traded folks. Mm-hmm. But let's be honest. All the folks that really carry majority of the products here are not publicly traded and don't have those type of accounts. And their profitability metrics are like razor thin. Like I've seen reports and stats, so I don't want to quote an exact one, but like the majority of small carriers, let's call it under 100, run north of what we would call like a 98 OR, which means oh, yeah. you you have a razor's edge fractional like buffer there. And so that is what is going to get completely eradicated. In, in this market drop off, uh, especially of the rate environment, the, the contract rates that, that people want to source at. But here's what happens, right? Everybody locks in these small ones. The brokers chase it to the bottom. They'll churn out carriers. Mm-hmm. The asset companies will show up to adhere to it. And then it'll get to the chokeout point. And then everybody shows up again and says, hey, here's your new rate, right? 
Exactly right. Meantime, we don't get any of those trucks back. All those people that folded the doors are already mm-hmm. gone. Like it, it's just the game perpetuates the same cycle game. It, it perpetuates it, and then we wait for the next, oftentimes, external shock to hit the economy that you know creates the bullwhip effect, and trucking is part of that bullwhip effect. And it yeah. hits, and all of a sudden, you know, whether it's two hurricanes and ELDs or you know, uh, massive snowstorms that last all winter or, uh, you know, uh, changes in regulations, yeah. right? uh, other changes. So there's something, right? That there's yeah. something out there that will hit at some point in the future. Yeah. It's usually 12 to 18 months, yeah. like clockwork almost. And here we go with the game of, of um, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire again. And, and shippers do it. Brokers do it. Carriers do it. And uh, and we were talking right before we hit record. We just never learned. No, but you know the part I do like about this market because I watched this part mm-hmm. happen for the better part of five years, which was uh, infuriating as well. But like, you're all we're all part of it is because of the capital markets dry up. Yeah, some normalcy there because for for years, Kevin, like you're battling new entrants, um, maybe even new highly capitalized uh, endeavors. <laughs> Right. With mm-hmm. nine figures in the bank and yep. they can and still can somewhat afford to, quote unquote, buy capacity and, and, and an unrealistic long term expectation. But for the term of uh, market share, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. And so those loss leader models, what you'll find through the, like it doesn't exist, which is hence what on the backs of that, why we see such a high um, a high movement for obviously people, you know, calling their teams and having to right size because behind that, what they're really telling you, there's no more of that type of money, at least for the time being. And so as they look to set their sales, what they need to make sure is they can position their businesses to survive, which is kind of the, you know, I I used to have a manager's called the burden of profit that, that some businesses have, but for a long time in this industry for years, there was a lot of companies that didn't have it. There still will be companies that don't, but that thing is squeezing. That daylight is closing quickly with the way the capital. Very quickly. Is. It's very quickly. Um, there, there was a space out there for it to happen. Uh, a couple major players who are now looking at profitability more than market share. Yeah. Uh, capital markets, rich capital markets have, have dropped dramatically. You're not going to see any other large players come out and subsidize shippers again at the scale that we saw. You're exactly right about that. That that ship is gone. That 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 market has matured, right? It's it hasn't really been captured. It's matured. So if we look at digital freight matching, everyone has digital freight matching now. Right. Everyone has options, right? It's not some new um, new uh, new planet to explore that that no one may be overlooking at that 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 time or slow to adopt. I mean that's. From avant-garde to main, as mainstream as you can get, you know, brokers doing been around twenty years, doing fifty million dollars. They're they can buy off-the-shelf digital freight, freight matching, right? Yeah. It's it's something that um, that is, I, I would say, mainstream now, right? I mean, yeah. But because that capital buffer to. is gone now, oh, it's gone. Because that yeah. capital buffer is now going back to our original commentary together. What does that do to the underlying small carrier? Because now there is no buffer. So as these folks continue to kind of play mm-hmm. a similar playbook, who really eats the burden is not the capital structure because they're going to set hard and heavy lines with all the tech and all the people. 
and, and these small truckers that maybe used to get a small incremental benefit from working with a partner that had that, uh, that disc, if you will, in between those vertebrae, mm-hmm. like that disc no longer exists, right? We don't have that anymore. And so who really feels the pain, in my opinion, is going to be, once again, the, the small carrier that then just says, you know what, like, I just can't. I, I'm going to move out of this market. I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to fold up shop. I mean, we're already seeing equipment sales, equipment prices. I mean, it's it's a wild time right now. In that, yeah. In that, in yeah. That. Everything's dropping. The equipment processes are, are dropping and, and they're going to they're going to accelerate their drop next year. Uh, when do you think that, that we hit um, I maybe rock bottom is a, is a good way to say it? Maybe not rock bottom, but we, we see the the. It's not a plateau because it's going going down. Maybe it is the bottom. Yeah, right? yeah. I like, you I like know, where, where do you, the contracts. Do you have a time frame maybe I, that you'd like to throw out there? I think from spot. I think we're January, February going to be new all time low. I don't see anything really pushing spot market trends Ooh. higher. I, I've, I've seen a lot of people talk about late Q one, early Q two mm-hmm. being the bottom. I can. Absolutely. From my days in asset based trucking and in the industry, see January and February not being the turnaround months for for what it's worth. So I I think as you get into, you know, the new bid cycles, plus kind of, you know, your, you know, July 4th ramp up and you get into that time of year, I could see it. But for me, do you answer your question from a bottom perspective? I hate to be like, you know, calling the bottom, but I, I think, you know, your March your March could definitely be a bottom out point for people. And, and I think, you know, come April, May, people will start to reset and start to come up with some new strategies. You'll see some price uh, prices come back. And do, do you think, uh, do, do you think it's a U shaped, a long, a long bottom or more of a V shaped bounce up? No, I think it'll be, a, I mean, we're already in kind of a bottom now, right? If you look at the spot yeah. trends now. So, I mean, I think we're, already seeing it. I don't know how much lower it can go. So I think it'll look more like a U than a V because I really feel like we're already living that in spot today and really have through this peak. And I think that will consist, that will stay uh, persistent for the first two, three months of next year. So I think there's your U and I think you're going to see a gradual climb from there with, you know, maybe getting to more normal levels by the end of third quarter for next peak season, potentially. Yeah, it's you know you can call a bottom, but then the, the next thing is how long? You know how long it, it can stay yeah. at the bottom for a long, long time. You know, I mean, uh, and and I don't know that. that I I think certainly, and you said it right. You know, we've been down in the bottoms for a while, so it's certainly you, unless there's an external shock to to the system. Right. Yeah, and, I just uh, I love some of the stuff that that people put out showing the, the the history of freight. Right. Even you go back to 2011, you look at the swings. That's why they come quicker. The volatility is even bigger. Um, mm-hmm. And it's my thesis that you know, and we always talk about how three PLs take on more and more responsibility, quote unquote. They've got more and yep. more market share, uh, more and more dependency by both carriers and shippers to have three PLs. And going back to our commentary. And they're all incentivized by the volatility. So, like, to think that the there's going to be more normalcy in the trucking future, I don't see where and how that's coming from, which is probably a really scary proposition for both truck fleet owners and then for any shipper that thinks that they can go out and, and tag a budget because the game is way too loose and it moves way too fast. And the people that are armed the most are the people that aren't wanting those things to change. 
Yeah, and and it goes with the, the growth of the three PL industry, right? It's, it's growing so fast, and and shippers are, are giving freight to to, to, to to freight brokers just in three PLs um, because of that flexibility. But they're the ones wanting the, the volatility as as well. So, um, which isn't a bad thing, you know. I like volatility uh, myself, so that's uh, that's always fun. But it's always fun to think about. And, uh, I'd like a little more consistency in my world, but hey, that's just true. Yeah. It's been pretty volatile for a year and a half. It'll continue to stay volatile, but I, I can admire getting Freightvana, our team, and kind of everything in a, a little bit more stable state, but that's just because it's been a couple of years of just pure and utter chaos. Oh, I know. What's your one uh, final question for you? What's your, your one big goal for Freightvana in 2023? Uh, I want to keep our retention through this recessionary times at levels that we continue to operate at. Um, I, I probably won't share it here, but like I've never experienced retention levels that we have. And so if we can grow our team 50% and our business ultimately 50% behind it, but re- have that retention, then I mm-hmm. feel like we're doing it, quote unquote, Kevin, the right way for us. Yes. Right. And I think that's a mm-hmm. place that people want to be. That's a place people feel like they can grow. That is a huge piece of this component for us is the team and the people. And so I could have top line goals and bottom line goals and all this. I feel like that stuff takes care of itself. Mm-hmm. I want to build that team that way. And that's my target goal for 23 and what I'd like to see out of our group. And that's a great goal. Retention. Yeah. Retention is a great goal because that's sustainable. Right. Yep. If you have if you hit those marks, it's sustainable. It's, it's long term. It's it's not playing, you know, uh, not playing the market or not not being affected by the market. It is that that retention and um, and that's where everything will flow through. Exactly. Uh, I like it. So you got to have the acquisition and you got to retain behind it. But that's my key yep. goal for next year. Awesome, awesome. Well, Shannon, it's been great talking to you today and uh, having you on here. Put that coffee down. For our, all our listeners out there, how do they reach out, learn more about Freightvana, contact you directly, um, and um, and interact? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. So obviously, Shannon Breen, we do a lot of a lot of activity on LinkedIn. Me and the team. Yeah. Um, from a website perspective, you know, we got hello uh, at Freightvana.io if you want to shoot us just a general message, or uh, you know, email me at Shannon.Breen at Freightvana.io and sure i can't get to maybe everything right away but i I usually respond on almost everything especially from an industry perspective because uh i think there's power in the network that we all have and um what you're doing with your show and so many other great people that i've met in this industry i think that's that's how we learn and grow together it is and and i didn't mention social media you guys are doing great uh, social media things (laughs) online um i I forget uh your social media director i at Yes, Josh at TIA. Do you like Josh or do you like the mustache? Which one? What is it? Well, I, the mustache is a mustache, <laughs> right? I mean, you can't dislike that mustache. So uh, the, the mustache wins. So, uh, yeah. But yeah, th- thanks again. So all our listeners out there, put that coffee down, like, subscribe, wherever you download your podcast, and um, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks a lot, Here I come. No, you don't.